because I think, especially in our times of social media and everything is visual these days, a brand really can make a difference. And for me, a brand goes outside towards the market and towards the customer. But for me, a brand also goes towards the inside. Hello, welcome to another episode of Speak Like a CEO. My name is Lena Carlson and I'm here with Oliver Ast. Hey, Oliver. Hey, Lena. Our guest today is Robert Ermich. Robert is a passionate and successful serious startup founder and investor. Most notably, he founded DineHandy, a portal for mobile phones, which he left in 2019 following his seven-figure exit. To a large extent, the success of DineHandy was built on the brand he built there, from his kitchen table, for which he received two German brand awards. He's currently the CEO of OnTruck, which provides creative advertising on heavy goods vehicles. He's also the co-founder and investor at Levy Health, a health tech startup with unicorn potential. Robert, hi. Hi. Uh, thanks, Oliver, for the invite. In an interview, you said you are more the speedboat kind of person, not the tanker type of person. What does that mean for your communication style? It means that I'm more the approachable kind of guy with an open door that is more on a buddy-buddy level with his employees than the corporate CEO that is uh, unapproachable in the high tower uh, and behind uh, two glass doors. Very nice. I have to say, I was reading your like LinkedIn profile and it's quite impressive and quite lengthy um, and maybe what some people would describe as a serial entrepreneur do you identify with that kind of title I do because I'm really happy and keen on starting new stuff and uh, to build new teams and to see new ideas being developed and to see a lot of fast progress um, that's yeah hence the speedboat kind of guy uh, so yeah I would um yeah, I would concur with that. How do you pick an idea that's right for you? Because it seems your interests know no certain topics or categories. Yeah, that's right. I cannot really say I have a specific uh, group or a specific area where I'm focused on. Even with my investments as an angel investor, it's uh, kind of all over the place. It mostly is about the people for me and about the opportunity and the idea. And if it's a business that I like... And if it's a team that I like, that I can see like, hey, I'm uh, really interested in working with these guys because uh, they bring me and myself forward um, and I can actually add value to them, uh, then it's a perfect match for me. I'm not really focused on the, I don't know, 40, 50x kind of cases. Uh, that's a nice side outcome, but that's a function um, of the good team and the progress that I can attribute to that. One occasion you said you're more of a marketing founder rather than a financial founder. And, and I love this because obviously you, you're a guy who, like us, is passionate about building brands and passionate about communications. Could you could you speak to, to that point? Yeah, if many times in a founder team, there is one guy with a stronger focus on marketing, the other guy stronger focused on finance, and then maybe another guy, ideally, that is focused on operations. Um, I would consider myself as the marketing guy this is the value that i bring into all the startups that i have worked in and that i'm building at the moment because i think especially in our times of social media and everything is visual uh, these days a brand really can make the difference and uh, for me a brand goes um, outside uh, towards the market and towards the customer but for me a brand also goes towards the inside uh, towards the team towards communication with the employees and everything um, so this is why i would say like i'm more the marketing kind of guy and i have usually some weird ideas 
in the morning after I wake up, my brain seems to like spit out these crazy things. And I really appreciate that and go to the office. And then I'm trying to really, you know, transform that into actionable things, into actionable uh, topics during the day. Can you talk us a little bit through this creative process? Because I feel like a lot of people like wake up and they have their best ideas or thoughts in the shower. And then by the time they get to the office, it's all completely gone and you're back to, I don't know, the nine to five daily grind. Like how do you basically take those creative impulses and ideas and really like translate into strategy or stuff that works? Uh, one of the things that I do is I don't wait like uh some people have heard of these guys that have a notepad next to the bed. Uh, so if they have a, a funny idea at night, they write it down. For me, it's pretty much the same thing. I use WhatsApp these days um, or I use my smartphone to write things down. But usually I just pin the ideas to the guys that I want to actually uh, make that idea happen with directly. And uh, so, for example, in the morning after getting up, um, I have an idea. I just shoot uh, a quick text to someone. And then when I'm in the office, I'm actually getting back to that. And uh, we're saying like after the meeting uh, that we're having in the morning, we're like, okay, let's try to focus on that, what I wrote this morning. And let's uh, see how we can actually use this to incorporate that into the company strategy or um, for a campaign or something like that. And is this essentially what you did with uh, Dine Handy from your kitchen table? Yeah, with Dine Handy, it was a lot of things that, um, especially since we were so strong in social media marketing, and I think we we were one of the full riders in that uh, in the German telco industry. Mm, there were a lot of things that I grabbed from day-to-day -day business, from day-to-day -day news, essentially. Like I always had uh, Boulevard News open on my laptop and tried to, you know, pick uh, what was happening outside in the world, much like Sixth, um, who uh, are doing a great job in that, um, and trying to see on uh, what's the pulse of the time, what can we use, what are other people doing that is good in marketing, and how can we um, transform it or attribute that towards our strategy. And this is uh, one of the reasons also why I left Dine Handy in the end, because at that point, we were just like a really big company. We were close to 80 people. Um, we were joining forces with our main competitor who was bought by the conglomerate that was behind us. And I would not have been in a position anymore to really just like take an idea in the morning and say like, hey, guys, let's try this and this feature today on the website or let's try this in this marketing campaign without consulting a steering committee or something like that, um, which then led to the point where I said like, okay, it's time for me to move on to the next thing. And uh, yeah, on track now is pretty much the same thing. Like we pitch, I don't know, we see a fun campaign and we say like, hey, we could pitch these guys uh, to go for trucks and stuff. Uh, so we come up with a fun creative during the day and then we shoot it out. And yeah, sometimes uh, that actually translates a couple of weeks later or months later into uh, some uh, 18 wheelers running across the German and European autobahns. Not to dwell on the past, but what does that conversation look like when you are leaving something that you've obviously been you know, passionate about and put, you know, 110% of your time into, how do you kind of have that conversation and do it in a positive way as well um, as you leave? Well, it's not just one conversation, uh, but uh, it's something that um, gets clearer after a couple of meetings and that interests or uh, the ways of thinking, the ways of future strategy is not necessarily aligned. And then, 
Uh, for me, at that point, it was something um, where I put a lot of energy in there. And I love my team and I love communicating with my team. But uh, the structures that we had with the merger, then uh, I was just not the right guy anymore. And I, I had to realize that myself. Um, and, and I did realize it, uh, which was then the way of changing the idea of how do I bring the company forward towards how do I get my employees to um, adapt to the new structure? Um, so I took that as a challenge, and then for me, it was really like, okay, yeah, it was tough to it was tough to leave, uh, but it was also a good thing because I was proud of what I uh, had done, and uh, especially about my team and what they had grown into. And I knew I would see a couple of the faces uh, in the future at some point, uh, which, yeah, still is happening today. And so it was actually okay. What I love about Dine Hendy is that you owned a color. And, and you know, I, I helped build a, a big company that was also owning a color in the space, namely EasyJet. What's the same story? I think you look at the space and think what color isn't taken that is a bit disruptive and in the case of an airport, air, you know, aircraft, it was orange. For you, it was green, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, we looked into the market, and this is actually really how we started because um, I helped build this other venture before, Price24, Price24, which we um, sold to uh, seven ventures. And so they were blue. Our main competitor was red. Orange was also taken. And then you had the big carriers, which was magenta, red, and blue, essentially. And yeah, you had base, which was some sort of green, but which was a dark green. And so we said, like, I do like the color green. And we actually sat down with a branding agency and really defined the direct Pantone of this color in order to really speak to our customers and in order to really like use that and own that. So it had to be like a certain darkness to be fresh. It had to be a certain lightness to be modern and had to be, you know, the right amount of black. So it really was a thought through process um, along with the typo and the style guide and everything. And uh, yeah, we really tried to own that, uh, including our shoes and uh, our office, which was really tried to look like uh, green white and a little bit of uh, black or brown with some palm trees in it tell us about the shoes <laughs> yeah so what we did and said i mean it was the yeah 2011 so the time of uh, every startup in berlin had gray hoodies and everything so obviously we had the green hoodies as well but i didn't want to stop there i said like okay we want to have something different something to differentiate us from the regular startup out there and so we bought some green trucks and in the beginning there was uh, there was a se there was a season where uh, converse actually produced uh, green converse shoes um, however they they discontinued them and then it was a time like the first people um, the first guys of the team first 10 15 people had green shoes and the rest couldn't get uh, them anymore uh, but at some point, uh, Nike bought Converse and then they uh, had Nike ID so we could actually order them customized. Uh, and this is what we did then. So we ordered, I don't know, 100 pair of shoes um, in, in this green color with the name on it, embroidered and everything. And this really was like an identifier, even though people complained because they were not really comfortable uh, for many people. Uh, but still, it was something, you know, to show. So it was uh, some people would wear them to work and every day. Obviously, I was wearing them every day. Our teams usually tried to wear them when we were um, on an outside appointment or on fairs or something like that. So you would recognize us. And there was a couple of companies that actually copied that uh, one of them was uh, built uh, built the ear 
And this actually made us proud as well because we were like, okay, we know how this came about because we had this conversation with you guys that you asked us, uh, how did you do that? It's really an interesting merch choice. I don't know if I would want to be wearing green chugs, but I do like the sentiment, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was something that not everybody had because, uh, you know, it was not the all day, everyday color. So it was a differentiator. So uh, people would, you know attribute you to that somehow um you talked just briefly before about startup culture in berlin and i think for people based in berlin they kind of have an idea of what this looks like and i'm going to throw a few stereotypes out there one is you probably studied at vehu and two you probably worked at rocket internet now i actually also studied at vehu for a brief period of time and lots of people that i work with also came through rocket um, but can you like tell me from your first-hand experience from being in both, why does it build such a startup culture? I do think that that started in, it really started in 2008. Like I was, uh, me and two friends of mine, we actually were the first business developers with Rocket. Rocket was back then not more than 25 people. And um, the guy that dragged us into this was uh, Christian Weiss. Uh, he was our he was our boss during our internship in 2006. And then he took the guys or he took some of the guys that he liked to work with um, to Rocket after we finished our bachelor's or uh, the last diploma guys. And I think what happened or how this culture was built, at least that's the story that I'm telling myself, um, is that we dragged a lot of WHU interns back then to Rocket uh, because we sort of knew what we would get and we knew that these guys would work, I don't know, 60, 80 hours, um, but not, you know, not under pressure, but would, would fun because we were a fun team back then and we loved to work actually. And I think a lot of people really had a fun time in the beginning there um, so once they were finished uh, and didn't have to do any internships anymore they actually um, went into that um, ecosystem as well they uh, became their own founders as well and step by step the first um, success stories came out Zalando, eDarling, uh, Groupon um, and all this stuff and not just with Rocket but also um, on the other side um, which was Daily Deal with um, Ferry um, Heidemann back then um, and also the Team Europe guys um, had some big successes. Um, so this is how more and more people actually were drawn to Berlin because they saw a lot of um, success and a lot of fun. So uh, they drew a lot of the guys that would otherwise go into banking or into consulting um, and said like, well, if I'm working 80 hours, I might just work 80 hours in a fun team with a beer on my desk uh, in the evening and, uh, not, under, uh, and not sleep under my desk uh, somewhere in London. Um, so this is why I think we got a lot of these people um, and step-by-step step, the ecosystem then grew because everybody knew each other. Um, so deals were cut that didn't uh, require like two or three negotiation rounds and stuff like that. So I think this is how it came about. In terms of the, the company culture you mentioned, so we talked about the green chucks and the green hoodies. We also talked about um, the fun team that is very hardworking and productive. In a way, that's a holy grail, right? A team that's, that's fun to work with, that's very productive and is building a fantastic company. Certainly to create that kind of culture, there's more to it than, you know, apparel. What other ingredients are there to ensure that, you know, this, this magic formula is coming together? 
I think you have to be genuine. Um, for me, it's I am genuinely a positive person and I do have a lot of energy and I'm trying to transmit that to the people that I work with. Um, that really goes like for the recruiting of the right guys to see like, hey, is this the right guy? And I'm not looking uh, necessarily for the best skill fit, but I'm looking for the best personal fit uh, because I want to work with someone that I say in the first meeting, like, hey, I would love to have a beer with you um, in the evening or I would like to spend the weekend with you in the office as well because this is probably what's going to happen. And I think I I really got lucky because I um, chose some really, really great people in the beginning uh, that actually transmitted my message and my methodology towards their teams later on as well. So my ideas spread to them, which then spread towards uh, throughout their teams as well. And uh, I actually managed that. I do show a genuine interest in my employees in, in all of the people that I work with. I listen to what they were doing in the evenings or on the weekends or stuff like that. And I'm happy to connect with them on a personal level. Um, and I really am approachable. I'm not like, hey, approach me, but actually I don't care. I really am interested in that, uh, which is also why I'm not the guy for a 500 people company probably um, but which uh, which is why my sweet spot is in between one and possibly close to a hundred you're also an angel investor now and a consultant are you also a mentor do you kind of see yourself in that sphere uh, yeah, I do. I do a lot of um, mentoring, uh, be it at uh, back at WHU or with a couple of teams that I that I work with. Some of them I'm invested with, some of them I'm not invested with, but um, they sometimes approach me and sometimes are here in Berlin and we grab a beer um, or something like that. And uh, we're actually just talking about their challenges. And um, sometimes it's uh, it's through the phone and it's not necessarily that it has to be through uh, through an institution or something um, thereof. But it's really, I'm interested in what these guys are building. And uh, I can take a lot of that for me as well, because they have challenges that I might face in the next startup that I'm building. Or um, there's a lot of problems that a lot of these startups have. Um, so learning from one, I can actually use their learnings um, to then coach that to the other uh, to the other companies I'm invested in. Yeah, it's interesting. I agree that, and, and we're both mentors at VHU, so that, that's also where we met, uh, fortunately. And uh, I, I totally agree that mentoring helps the mentor as much as the mentee, probably, because you you get the reps in, you, you, you have to provide good advice at lightning speed to many different teams. So it's a fantastic method just to sharpen your skills and, and meet fantastic people as well. You probably cross paths later in life as well yeah absolutely and to connect these guys um which is then again you know fastening the speed of their startups and um it really leads and as you as you say you're probably going to meet these people later in life i'm still working with people that i have met at rocket in 2008 2009 um and you know you reconnect at some point but on track we're working together with uh, anna alex uh, with planetly right now and we first met uh, in 2008 at rocket and then we didn't you know see each other for a while but um you know comes back around let's talk about on truck then you just mentioned the company so this is the company you set up a few years ago you are the ceo now from afar it looks like a great idea but it seems relatively low tech 
Is that fair? Uh, that's a fair assumption. Yeah, it is pretty much low tech, actually. I mean, we're, you know, we're trying to optimize, but yeah, there is uh, not much tech involved. It really is more like an agency business where we're connecting, where we're connecting all the world of logistics with all the marketers out there and the marketing agencies out there and uh, trying to come up with creative ideas and creative campaigns. And, and the reason I'm asking, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, uh, you know, uh, bricks and mortar and solid businesses. I, I actually like those kinds of businesses as well that often those tend to be overlooked, right? Because um, advertising on trucks probably doesn't strike most startup founders in Berlin as, a, oh, that's a space I want to go after. There are probably plenty of opportunities there. So how come you went into that space? I think what happened was um, with Dine Handy, we looked at a lot of different uh, marketing opportunities. We did TV ads, we did um, soccer Bundesliga um, stadium ads, uh, we did radio, we did podcasts, we did a lot of social media and print and everything. And at some point, I got the idea when I was on the Autobahn driving back home there, I was like, well, it would be awesome to have our own trucks, even though we're not as big that we have our own logistic, uh, our own logistics branded. However, it would look funny. And this is how we actually started because I had a friend that was in the digital out of home business back then. And I was like, Hey, you know, a couple of guys, could you maybe try to help me and, and prove this and, and run the numbers a little bit. So we set up a couple of Dine Handy trucks, um, which we branded with the full brand on the side. And on the back, we said, like, uh, you ordered yesterday and we're going to deliver it for you today on the road for you today. So it actually suggested that 40 ton truck is full of smartphones. And people thought, like, wow, this is a huge company. Meanwhile, the truck was transporting potatoes. Um, however, it suggested sorry it, uh, it suggested something different, and it suggested a lot more than a regular billboard, which only says "I am marketing." The truck says "I'm marketing," but the truck also says, "Like wow, I'm full of that stuff." Um, and we used that actually then also with some nice videos online, and said like when the new iPhones dropped. We said, okay, we're shipping the first iPhones. And then we faded into a, a scene where a truck was leaving a garage and people were like, wow, okay, they, they must have like huge amounts of iPhones. Uh, wow, this company must be huge. Um, so uh, this is actually how, how this idea started. And then we looked and there was nobody in the market that was doing that because it was really, really scattered. It was a lot of logistics companies. Nobody really had a, an idea um, on, on, on how to scale that in, in that way. And this is how we try to then really quickly grab that market. And uh, yeah, by now we're growing and more and more startups actually get the idea that uh, they can suggest size and that they can use that more than uh, a regular billboard on the street uh, because it runs on the road and you actually have to see it. A billboard you don't have to see, but the truck, if you want to or not, you have to notice it because it's a part of traffic and you cannot overlook it. It's super interesting. I think like a lot of people, you know, there's like kind of cool or sexy industries that everyone wants to be in. And then you think, oh my God, the market's saturated. There's like no space for new ideas. But, you know, like something like even like logistics or transport and using that in a in a new way, that's kind of like where where a lot of new ideas are coming from now, maybe. Um, what would be your advice for people trying to change their perspective or like when you're looking at a problem and saying there's no new ways of doing it, how do you find a creative solution? That's a good question. 
Well, I'm trying to change perspectives as much as I can. So I'm trying to listen to other people. I'm trying to ask like a couple of different people on their opinion and then and on their experience about a certain problem. And then maybe out of their experience, I can actually learn how they approached and how they tackled the problem. That doesn't always give a solution, but it gives, you know, a couple of times it really gives a different hinge, a different notch where you're like, okay, maybe I didn't think about that. And then you combine two or three perspectives and then sometimes uh, you get a clearer path and um, you actually might solve that issue. I think it's open eyes, right? Where some people see heavy goods vehicle, you see a new company on truck. Yeah, for example, the topic that we were presented with in the beginning, which was a problem that people said like, wow, okay, everybody is um, eco-friendly. How can you advertise on a 40-ton on a 40-ton diesel truck? This is really, really bad. And um, we actually took that and then we said, we went to Planetly to Anna and said like, hey, can you, can you help us here? And then we came up and said like, uh, we just have to change the communication because what we're doing now is these trucks are running their routes anyway. It's not that we have an additional CO2 footprint, but what we then said as a contrary point is, hey, you know what, we're actually going to go in and we're going to offset all the kilometers that are driven. So with your marketing campaign, you're actually reducing or offsetting a part of the heavy load traffic in Europe. Um, so we can come from a company with a bad image of using 40 ton diesel trucks uh, towards a company doing more or less green marketing um, and this is one of uh, this is a good example for that i think interesting you're also the co-founder and you investor in levy health which is a company that is uh, was founded last year i believe and is building a new product in the baby space using technology and again basically upgrading updating an existing product. Yeah, that's the contrast to uh, OnTruck because this is really, really tech heavy. <laughs> and yeah, so after after I did my exit with Dynhandy, I actually wanted to lay low for a while. And uh, that almost worked out well until uh, two months later, I joined a business plan competition as uh, part of the jury. And uh, I met this team um, that had a great idea. And I thought like, wow, this has huge potential. And uh, I decided then after that was over, um, I decided to support them and actually to co-found that company with them and to help them, you know, lift the baby out of the sand. And um, yeah, we're now one year in and uh, we're almost done with a functional prototype, which is amazing. And this, I, th I really do think that this has the potential to, to change the world in a way that um, we can eradicate or lower the diseases for little kids or for um, infants especially, and that we can ease the sorrows of, um, of young parents, um, of first-time parents, uh, that they can sleep a little better at night and that they know, okay, my kid is being looked after as well. So if there's something wrong with the breathing or with the heart rate, I'm going to get an alert. I don't have to wake up like 10 times a night and see like, hey, is he or she still breathing? Um, so yeah, I think it's cool. It's a really, really cool project. And how has the reception been thus far to it? Um, we just finished 
uh, traction study actually on uh, which we did like we um, set a landing page live with the renderings that we have and tried to collect a little bit of feedback and the um, cost per acquisition was actually really really good for us and uh, we got a lot of positive feedback um, some people obviously in especially in germany are a little bit cautious about the data collection and everything however most of the feedback that we got were people were actually happy especially people that were worried about sickness um, of their infants um, because on the one side people say like yeah i don't want to um, have too much technology on my infant and everything on the other side if you tell them like well I mean, this is going to prevent your kid from, uh, or this is going to earlier recognize if your kid has a seizure or something, uh, then they suddenly, you know, change their perception about uh, data collection uh, because it actually really concerns the health um, of the baby. Um, so yeah, pause, uh, feedback so far was like vastly positive. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think you called it at one point baby phone for today. Yeah. But it's more than just the acoustic signal, right? It's many more information. Yeah, exactly. It uh, it tracks like 12 um, vital signs and yeah, it has a microphone as well. So it basically replaces your regular baby phone um, and enhances it and, and gives you the data on your on your smartphone. Um, so you actually know about the development of your, of your infant or if there's something wrong. And with that, with the data that we're collecting um, in that um, in that immensity, we're thinking uh, that we can actually, you know, contribute to really earlier diagnosing um, congenital diseases, heart diseases, lung diseases. Uh, we can see the reaction of vaccines uh, on certain infants and stuff like that. Um, so I really do think that we can do something good with that. I, I suspect that your marketing and internal communication strategy differs from Dine Handy, right? Um, it does a bit. However, um, with these young parents being in between 25 and 35 nowadays, uh, they are really um, as tech savvy as never before. And they are the generation Instagram. Like every gender reveal, every, uh, oh, I'm pregnant is uh, being posted and posted again uh, on Instagram or on even TikTok and, uh, and everything. Uh, so this is a huge market for us. But on the other side, um, also, uh, midwives are um, a real big affiliate uh, market for us because they are the ones that um, that the young parents really really entrust their pregnancy with and entrust their trust the entire process um, so they are really crucial to our process as well and then we're working together with doctors with pediatricians as well in order to you know get more confidence in the product and to get more confidence towards our um, customers as well. So I would think from, from a marketing perspective, what you need to do, and, and it sounds like you're doing this, is create multiple touch points, but that's on Instagram, uh, through the uh, midwives, uh, you know, social media, PR, etc. And at the same time, you need to build credibility by having the me medical experts involved yeah. in the product i believe the ceo is also uh, has a medical or health background um yes uh, she has a pharmaceutical background and uh, both of the founders are uh, long-term um uh, long-term workers in pharmaceutical companies um so about regulations product development um on all these things uh, they are really really like really experienced and uh, we have a professor on on our board of the neonato 
how do you say that in English, um, of the neonatology uh, in uh, of the clinic in Heidelberg, which is one of the biggest uh, infant uh, care clinics in Europe. And uh, he's on our board. And uh, you're exactly right. Like we have to build that trust um, into the product um, and uh, use clinical studies as well. So looking forward, what can we maybe expect from you in the future? <laughs> That's a, that's a really, really good question. And um, I hope that uh, we're going to hear a lot more about Levy in the um, upcoming years. I hope we're going to hear um, a lot more about fun and really, really creative campaigns uh, with trucks and that we saved a lot of, uh, that we saved a lot of CO2 or that we invested a lot in uh, projects that are um, for reforestation and um, renewable energies. And, um, well, yeah, there's a couple of other projects that I'm uh, starting to invest and that I'm, that I'm looking into. And I think a couple of them will actually, you know, leave their mark uh, on the German and international um, founder scene, I hope. Fantastic. And I'd be curious to hear your views on the future of communications and marketing since you have such a great track record here. Well, in terms of communication, I think... It's a real big challenge after COVID with uh, home office and remote office because one thing that I like to um, incorporate in my communication is body language. I really like to see the people and see how I can interact with them. I do get a good feeling in, in, in reading people um, and if they're in a good mood or in a bad mood, you know, and sometimes this really can Uh, can make a change. If I see an employee in my office um, that is uh, with a really long face, then I can try to cheer him up or try to see that. I don't see that if he's not on camera um, all day, every day. Um, so this, I think, um, is going to present a challenge in the future. Um, Yeah, I think that's going to be that's going to be the biggest challenge in terms of marketing. I do think that a lot more is going to go visual because, yeah, the TikToks and Instagrams. I mean, this is the big thing at the moment um, since about five years. And I do see this growing a lot more. So I do think that um, big brands will actually um, will actually still gain a lot more uh, market shares than uh, than non brands. Um, so I think this is a really, it's a really strong point to focus on, to build a clear brand message and to really be coherent with that. That's great advice. Robert, thank you so much for speaking to us today and, and thanks for sharing all your insights. I took away so many things in this interview uh, about building uh, a fantastic company culture, starting uh, with a very clear brand message uh, internally and externally. Uh, if you have some visual identity, that is fantastic as well. And keep your eyes open for any new business ideas and practice your ideas muscle every day. Um, and, you know, every business needs its tailor-made communications and marketing strategy. There's no one size fits all. What's good for on truck is certainly not the right thing for Levy Health and vice versa. So be mindful of that. So thank you all for sharing all these insights. Thank you. Love it. Thanks so much. Thanks for the talk. Have a great day, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.